Welcome to the Respectful Divorce Podcast. If you're considering a divorce, it's important to know that you have options for how you divorce. On the Respectful Divorce Podcast, we'll explore those options and provide advice from divorce professionals. We also talk with divorce clients about what went right and what went wrong in their divorce. On today's edition of the Respectful Divorce Podcast, we're talking with Erica Ellis, a licensed psychologist, best-selling author of Your Healthy Divorce Journey, and a leading global expert on child-centered divorce. Well, Dr. Ellis, thank you so much for taking some time and spending part of your afternoon with me. I'd like to know a little bit more about you, and I'm sure our listeners would like to know a little bit more about you. How did you end up in the work you're doing? And tell us about your work, if you would. I'd be happy to, and thanks, Camille, for having me. It's a pleasure. So I'm a, I'm a, child, a child psychologist, and I've been in the field for 30-something years practicing. And where um, is your office, by the way? In upstate New York, okay. in the capital area of Albany. All right. Um, and uh, I focus primarily in my practice on working with children and families. And from that end, I mostly see kids who have been hurt, damaged, traumatized in some way by divorce. Um, And it's been a passion of mine. Uh, I am a child of divorce myself. And so I have been so focused on trying to help kids work their way through this process. But about, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, I learned about the collaborative process. And it was so exciting to me because it was it was proactive and it was preventive and it was an opportunity to prevent some of the damage that I had seen in my practice for so long. So I've been resolving cases with my collaborative uh, attorney colleagues for the last 12 years. And I decided to write a book during COVID uh, while I was working remotely in my practice. And what's the name of your book? The book is called Your Healthy Divorce Journey. And it's a very child-focused look throughout the entire divorce process and trying to help parents from beginning to end make decisions that protect kids. And that book is available on Amazon, isn't it? it? Yep, it is. And tell us about your institute. So we also started, um, I actually um, am in business with my son, which is one of the life's greatest pleasures. He He's my technical person and I'm the the knowledge person, I guess, when it comes to divorce. Uh, But we first started the business that was called your um, the child centered divorce journey. And it was online courses and coaching. And we recently changed the name to the co parenting institute, because we wanted it to to resonate a little bit more with parents who are looking for help with how to co parent. So again, we offer courses, we offer parent education classes. I'm available to help people create child-centered parenting plans. You know, in my practice, I've actually gotten a lot of referrals from attorneys who are stuck with um, warring parents who can't come to some resolution about parenting plans. And I have gotten quite skilled at taking it from a different perspective than the lawyers do. You know, sometimes you, when, could you give us a little bit of an insight into what that looks like when when you take it, quote unquote, offline from the lawyer's hands? What do you do differently? Because I know all of you in the in the psychology field and in the licensed professional counseling field, there's something you do differently that we don't learn in law school. 
that enables yeah. you to change the whole paradigm of the and the dynamic of the conversation. Right. Well, I think it becomes, unfortunately, with lawyers, um, even in the collaborative, there's still this kind of somewhat of an adversarial win-lose kind of thing. And that's how people are thinking about it. How am I going to win? How, how do I get more? How do I, you know, how do I get more time? How do I take time away from the other parent? I approach this totally from the perspective of the children. And it, it disarms them in a way when they start to think about their kids rather than their own needs. You know, like how old is your child? What are their developmental needs? Um, because one of the things that we know is that kids of different ages need different things. So if, you know, if a parent says to me, uh, we want to do one week on and one week off because that's going to make our lives easier. I might say to them, yeah, but your kids are two and four. Uh, like, that's not going to be healthy for them. Right. You know, or somebody who's stuck with, on the notion of I want 50 50. Mm -hmm. But the one parent travels all week long and they're never home. But but they have it in their head that they want it a certain way, but they're not thinking about what's best for their kid. So I think part of like being a child psychologist and and sitting and saying, let's really talk about your children's needs. You know, let, let's not this have this be about what's easier for you. Let's have it be about what's best for your kids. I'm and guessing that comes from their pain and fear that they're losing their children and their family. It's not a, a sinister or um, malevolent approach or desire. It's that they are fearful. It's, would you think that's correct? I think that's absolutely true. I think so many of the decisions that parents make when they're going through a divorce are emotionally based, right? Um, you know, based on all of those emotions that they're experiencing. <laughs> but I try to pull it back from, okay, I get it that you're struggling. I get it that you're scared. I get it. You know, I kind of, I want to acknowledge that. Uh -huh. But then I bring it back to, let's look at your children and what they really need. And are you, do you, did you say that you feel like they are able to make that transition into sort of from the balcony looking down on how this is going to affect their kids rather than just how it affects them? I, I, th I think there's something unique about talking to a psychologist who whose focus is on their children that helps them make that that paradigm shift. You know, around um, here in Denton, Texas, we call what our MHPs do in the collaborative process is their pixie dust. <laughs> they make miracles happen in a way yeah. that no one else can. So yeah. my hat is off to you and everything you do for kids and families. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. We couldn't do the collaborative process without you. Certainly not nearly as well. So how does the collaborative process look in your area of practice, in your jurisdiction? Well, it's interesting. We've had a big debate up here about the one coach model versus the two coach model, mm -hmm. you know, are there two, are there two mental health people in there? Are there one mental health person in there? There's also some people who talk about collaborative light. I don't know if you've had that conversation. Mm -hmm. There's people that want to do collaborative without the mental health professional. Um, so all of the cases that, well, the majority that I, that I've done, I have been the, the sole coach. Um, I have done a couple of cases that there were two coaches or two facilitators when they were very, very high conflict cases. And uh -huh. sometimes having each person having their own coach can be very powerful. Uh, but most of the cases that I've done, there has just been one coach. Um, 
And it's shocking to me, the power of three professionals sitting in a room, all of whom are focused on negotiation and compromise and respectful process, how efficient a process it is. You know, people get scared, like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to pay for three professionals and it's going to be so expensive. And I say to them, no, it's such an efficient process. Would you expound on that? Because that really is something that we hear from people when they first come in on a case, the clients, that it sounds like we've got so many professionals involved that it's naturally going to be a lot more expensive than a litigated case. Would you speak to that? Because that's not been most of our experience. Yeah. Well, I I think the emotional stuff is what normally gets in the way and why divorces take so long, right? When you litigate, there's so much emotion that gets in the way. Um, Having a professional managing the emotions and not letting it derail the process, I believe is so incredibly helpful and it cuts out so much of the noise. Um, And I, the way that we've done it in the cases that I've been involved with is I have done the parenting plan separate from the attorneys. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's a much more efficient process too. you know, just working one-on-one with me, uh, you know, that could take months in litigation coming up with a custody plan, right? Yes. Our state organization in Texas actually a number of our mental health professionals, communications coaches and attorneys put together something called the parenting plan checklist. And it is tied to what decrees will look like. And the MHPs can go through that with the clients and make sure to cover all the subject areas so that the the transition from the work that you all do with the parents away from the lawyers can be easily converted into a decree. Yeah. So if you would talk about what you've you've talked about how you help disarm parents when they are overly animated or upset about what's going on in their lives and their children's lives. In the collaborative process, tell us a little bit about how you convince lawyers who are usually so protective of their attorney-client relationship How do you convince lawyers to let you work privately with their clients so that you can develop a parenting plan and save the money of both lawyers being involved? Well, I I don't know. I've found up in in my area that they are thrilled to have me do it. (laughs) I can tell you as Um, one of the lawyers in Texas, I'm thrilled to have you do it. Yep. And, and I actually, like I said earlier, I have a number of uh, the, the attorneys that I work with who refer even in their litigated cases yes. that they, they get stuck and they're like, Erica, please work with these people, like help them with their parenting plan. And I'm not even part, you know, I'm not part of that team. I'm not part of right. any collaborative team, but I don't know. My experience has been the lawyers are grateful for my help with that um, and not have to get caught up in in all the 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 emotion and the arguing and the adversarial piece of that 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 can happen. I do um, think things are changing, but I think I've been practicing for 38 years. And I know when I was in law school, there if if you ventured and I always ventured into the mental health and psychological area because that was a component that I didn't think could be separated from family law. But I know older lawyers used to say to clients, leave your emotions outside. 
This is a business deal. And that I think was the law school philosophy to a great extent at that time. But I think I think lawyers are finally having their aha moment that you all can make such a huge difference. And nothing that you do in your offline meetings with the clients is binding, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I do something similar. You know, I have a template that I use and I, you know, I'll go through the the weekday schedule and the weekend schedule and the summer schedule and the holiday schedule. And I and then I I pass along notes to the attorneys after every one of my meetings and you know, they take that information, they'll use it to write up their draft agreements. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll make sure that the clients are in agreement with everything that I've shared in the notes. So yeah, absolutely. Um, and if you've got a couple of clients that cannot get past before they come into you, cannot get past the, we want 50-50 time. It's almost like the story in the Bible about King Solomon and the baby. And very often parents find themselves put in the position of wanting to not not literally or even figuratively, but but the reaction comes across as wanting to cut the baby in half, like the King Solomon story. Can you just tell us a little bit logistically about how you walk the parents through that? I know you said earlier that you you say to them, you know, let's think about how this affects the kids. But how do you get them off of their position on that into thinking in terms of their interests rather than positions and the interests of the children? Right. Well, getting them off their positions is always the biggest challenge in everything. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But it's so interesting. Like I'm thinking of one case that I worked with. And again, it was the she traveled Mm -hmm. and she was gone all week long. And, you know, she she, she came into the meeting and it's like, I want 50 50. I'm like, well, how are you going to make that happen? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll get a babysitter. And, you know, we started to talk about like, is, do you honestly believe that your kids are better off with a babysitter than they are with their other parent? Um, You know, just trying to challenge them and, and, and shifting their perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've also had situations, um, you know, that one of the parents is a teacher, right? And they're home all summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it makes perfect sense that the children are with the parent is that's home all summer. But right. the other parent is crazed about that. Yes. They're going to get more time than I am. And and then again, to challenge that. OK, I, I understand that that feels scary from a, a numbers perspective. But do you think your kids are better off like being with their parent than they are at daycare all day long? Um, so just trying to help them get off the numbers game. And do um, most parents respond positively to that new they approach? Do. They do. Um, I mean, it's not always easy, you know, yeah. and it, it's, it's a process of getting them there and some are more positional than others. Um, but I but would it, think it would be much more effective because you're not doing it within the adversarial approach. Exactly. Just talking to the psychologist who specializes in what's best for kids. And that's what I keep coming back to. This isn't about winning or losing or how much Mm -hmm. time, how many hours. Think about your children, you know, or the or the child who has special needs, you know, and one parent is better able to meet them during the week, say, educationally. Right. does it make more sense for the child to be with that parent after school? Or does it make more sense to for the other parent to have them and have a babysitter watching them? So it's really, really child focused. 
I had a case one time when I was teaching a class on family law at our local university, Texas Women's University. And um, and it was really interesting because the parents in that case were fighting over who got the kids at certain times. And the mom wanted to go back to school, but she couldn't afford a babysitter at the nights on the nights that she was going to go to school. So eventually we worked it out with, well, what if you just thought of him as the babysitter that he's willing not to charge you? And it was just miraculous. It was almost like suddenly there was this well-oiled machine where everything just slipped into place and we had a working cooperative agreement. Yeah. And the kids were the beneficiaries of that. So it's helping people shift their perspective and their paradigm, right? And Tim Tim Crouch, who is the producer, one of the producers of this show, often says that that many of the statutes for family law came into being in the mid 60s. And so those at that time, you had to prove fault. Uh, and, And so it was a zero sum game when you went to court, someone had to to throw mud at the other one to show that they were better than the other side. And so there's a 50 year traction and history of the brand of divorce that was fighting before collaborative ever came into being. And so help us understand how you all in your jurisdiction teach clients or educate clients on how the collaborative process is a different way to do this. How are you getting people educated and um, interested in in using this process for the benefit of themselves and their kids and their family versus litigation? Sure. Well, I know from when I talk to people about it at the beginning, Mm -hmm. um, my perspective is always that the toll of going to, to court is so huge Uh, not just financially, but emotionally. And people don't understand that because I I think they often make the the divorce process choice on an emotional basis as well, right? You're terribly hurt, you've you've been damaged and you wanna find- It's probably hard not to. Absolutely. And you wanna hurt the other person back in in some sense, right? It's Um, almost a primal reaction, I guess. It is, very natural, right? And you wanna find the the most cutthroat attorney you can and you wanna go to court and you wanna fight for everything that you could possibly get out of that person. But the, the emotional and financial toll of that decision is not something that I think people really think through. And I think the key is to help them think that through, to understand that, Forget about financially. I mean, that 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 goes without saying, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, we tell people you're going to spend tens, if not $100,000, if you're going to fight this out in court. You're going to lose control. You're going to have no ability to really impact the decisions. It's going to be out of your hands. So you, if you want some control over this process, finding a non-litigated process is going to give you so much better chance of that happening. And then in terms of the kids, I mean, what I say to people is if you litigate, it is going to further damage any ability that you have to co-parent with your soon-to-be ex-spouse. Why is that? Because the process is so ugly because there's going to be accusations hurled. And as you said, the, the, the goal is to prove that you're a good parent and the other one is a horrible parent. And in order to do that, you're going to have to 
make all kinds of accusations and allegations, and it is going to damage your relationship with your ex. If it was bad when you started, it's going to be worse at the end. And it's going to be that much more difficult for you to be able to co-parent on behalf of your kids. And that to me is the biggest selling point when there are children involved. This collaborative is a process that is not only going to help protect that co-parenting relationship, but it might even enhance it because you're going to learn communication skills. You're going to learn strategies for resolving disputes. You're going to focus on what's in your kids' best interests. Um, and that is so powerful. And that so, may last the life of the children. That will absolutely last the life of the children. And, and it, I, I'll say to people, it could be the greatest gift you ever give to your children. I love that. Can you explain, just as we're wrapping up, your own experience and how part of your mission sounds like you want to help others because there wasn't anybody available really to help you in your journey when you were a young person and your parents were divorcing and that it affected you in how how many ways? Yeah, I think that's absolutely accurate. Uh, I was 16 when my parents divorced. My dad had an affair. So my mom was very wounded, betrayed, rejected, and never really dealt with her feelings particularly well from looking back as a psychologist. Uh, and she was driven by anger and rage for so many years. And we were really close. I mean, they were wonderful parents, but they made so many mistakes based upon all of the emotions. And, you know, I was a 16 year old. My mom and I had a really close relationship. She told me everything. I was her confidant. I was her therapist. I knew every detail of things that were so overwhelming for me to know. I, I couldn't help her. Um, I wanted to help her. Um, and I was, I, you know, I was put in the middle. I was a messenger. I was a secret keeper. I, you know, I was put in the position that kids should never be put in. And it followed me. You know, I was 16. I was almost leaving for college. But every time I came home from college, there was a fight about whose house I was going to go to first, mm -hmm. how many hours I was going to be with each one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, when I got married, there was there was a huge issue about who was going to walk me down the aisle because my dad was already remarried to the evil stepmother who I blamed for their divorce. Um, and he wanted her to, you know, walk me down the aisle with him. And, you know, oh my so, goodness. Yeah. Um, and then when my son, my son was born, just this one little anecdote, you know, it was the happiest day of my life, but I was so worried about protecting my mom to not have to be in the same room with my dad that I asked my dad to not come to the hospital. Because I was so like trained to be in the role of my mom's protector. Yes. Um, so, you know, I spent my my hours in the therapist's office and, and worked through, you know, a lot of my issues. But I know the best of parents, the most loving of parents, the most well-meaning of parents can make so many mistakes without even knowing they're making them. And it is absolutely my passion at this point to try to prevent that from happening for as many kids as I possibly can. Thank you so much. This has just been a pleasure to visit with you and have you share part of your afternoon with us, Dr. Ellis. It was would my you, pleasure. Would you give us the name of your book again in your institute in case somebody, yeah. somebody wants to look it up? The book is called Your Healthy Divorce Journey. And, and that's available on Amazon? Available on Amazon. 
And you could find us at the Co-Parenting Institute. Uh, I'm sorry, it's the Co-Parenting Institute, but it's uh, coparenting.org is, is where you could find the website. And if people have questions for me, you could reach out to me at erica at coparenting.org. Um, you know, I'm always available to try to, to be helpful for parents going through this difficult time. Well, thank you for not only sharing part of your afternoon, but for the good work you do for children and families. We appreciate that. so much. Right back at you. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for the Respectful Divorce Podcast. If you're a divorce professional and would like to be a guest on this podcast, contact Tim Crouch at 940-383-1990. A respectful divorce is possible, and there are better ways to untie the knot.